Hello, welcome everybody to the Creative Writing Life podcast. Uh, we have a special guest today, but first, I'm Justin Sloan. I am P.T. Hilton. And I am Paul Zeidman. And Justin, why don't you uh, do the honors and introduce our special guest? Yeah. Hey, everybody. We have Jeremy Flagg with us. How's it going, Jeremy? It's going pretty well. How about yourself? Oh, amazing, of course. Always, always amazing. I've been making good progress, actually. I've been working on my uh, middle grade stories. I did, What I did is I took a 20,000-word break to work on something serious and dark. And then... Uh, and then all these riots started happening, and it got me too depressed. So I had to go back to my middle grade books again. <laughs> like I can't work on dark, depressing stuff and read the news at the same time. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, my uh, my my novels tend to go pretty darn dark. So I'm uh, I'm looking for a humor book. I think I might work on for a little while. Yeah, get some middle grade superhero books with me. That'd be fun. <laughs> is, is there a market for it? No. Uh, <laughs> it's just Justin, fun. Justin's gonna make his own market. My wife's gonna rebel any day now because I'm working full time as an author now. But I'm kind of just for the last like three months, just been writing whatever I feel like, not caring if there's a market. I don't know that's gonna bite me in the butt, but I'm hoping that instead I'll just create the market. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I'm gonna cross my fingers for you on that one. <laughs> Thanks. Well, hence the twenty thousand word thing that I did, and I'll go back and do another twenty thousand words in it, and then do another back and forth. Anyway. Anyway, I'm I'm distracted. Uh, so we always do a thing at the beginning, Jeremy, where we talk about what we're watching or reading or listening to or whatever. So it could be TV or books or um, whatever you want it to be. I will start off, and we can go first so that you have a time to think about it. Uh, mine was I finally watched uh, Ready or Not, the kind of horror movie with the girl in the mansion where the family's trying to kill her on her wedding night. Oh, yeah. What did you think of that? I loved it. You know me. I'm a, I hate dark and depressing stories, but for some reason, these and like the Joker and Natural Born Killers don't fall into that category for me at all. They're just like fun movies that are well done. And yeah, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Would you say this is more horror comedy or horror with comedic elements? I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. I didn't think it had much. I mean, it had some comedy, I guess. But yeah, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it had comedic elements really even. It's <laughs> just little moments of comedy that are not comedic elements. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it horror comedy. It was it took itself too seriously to to be called. Oh, that, see, that's, right? I didn't think it took it. I mean, it took itself seriously, but only to a certain point, almost to the point of parody. That it wasn't, you know, going trying to be silly. But I thought it there was a definite a fun kind of vibe to it overall. Even though you know, I don't really like horror movies, but I, I, this kind of thing I do like. Yeah, I won't spoil it, but I will say there are points that I guess if I was in a theater watching it with somebody else, I would just watch it by myself. But I guess there could be points where everybody would start crack up laughing, and then I would have probably thought it was a comedy moment. Mm -hmm. Watching mm -hmm. myself, I'm just like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, PT, you got anything? Um, yeah, what, what have I been watching? Uh, I watched. Uh, I watched. What's it called? Oh, so last time I was talking about how I watched. Um, uh, what's that? Now I forgot the name. <laughs> Bone Tomahawk. Uh, oh, yeah, so, so I watched that director's next movie, uh, Assault on or Brawl on Brawl in Cell Block Ninety Nine. That's what it was called. And uh, it was, it's a total, totally uh, like over the top, like exploitation style uh, prison movie. Uh, one, it, it, I, I totally liked it, but it, it was super cheesy. But I really liked it. But one awesome thing is like Vince Vaughn is the like main character, and it was clearly written for like The Rock or Vin Diesel or whatever. Because like 
other characters are constantly referring to like how muscular he is and like like how he's how he's just this huge guy and all this stuff. And it's like Vince Vaughn. I mean, he's not like he's a tall guy. And he's like you know, yeah, I'm easy, I guess, but he's not like super ripped. Um, so that was funny. But if you want like a super crazy, over the top uh, prison movie about violently fighting, I recommend Brawl on uh, in Cell Block Ninety Nine. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I can see the director like, oh, we'll change the line, and he's like, no. Keep it. <laughs> <laughs> I am buff. Wow, Paul, what you got? Uh, I watched uh, two movies. Uh, so, Jeremy, one of the things that I've, you know, it's kind of an ongoing thing with me. I'm because we're for shelter in place for several months now. I've just been going through my Netflix DVD queue that like stuff that's been on there for years, and I just never got around to watching it. So I just decided this is the perfect time to do that. So the first one I watched is a Donnie Yen uh, martial arts movie called Legend of the Fist: Return of Chen Jen. Oh yeah. And, and I love Donnie Yen's martial arts action, but the story. You would have had to like put this on a board with strings attached going in several different directions to try to figure out what the story was exactly supposed to be because there were just so many things like, okay, we're going to set up this story, but we're going to forget about it by 10 minutes from now. And like, there's this whole thing that I guess the original movie uh, Bruce Lee was in because he, he, there's an outfit similar to uh, what he wore when he was Cato on the Green Hornet, like the black uh, thing with the hat and the mask. And that plays a part in this movie, but like they kind of ignore it halfway through and just like, well, yeah, he's wearing this costume, but it, it's kind of like we're, we're not going to really talk about it, that he's wearing this costume. And there's this whole thing about the uh, Japanese invasion of China in the early 20th century. And it was just, you know, the martial arts were phenomenal, but everything else just big question mark over my head. So that it was just weird. That's the best way I can describe it. And the other movie, total, uh, total opposite end of the spectrum was about uh, Charles Dickens writing a Christmas carol called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And I just, you know, you know what, why not watch that in the middle of uh, spring? That uh, <laughs> was, was a charming little movie. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, everybody knows the story, but you know, do you know the story of how it came to be and that sort of thing? I'm sure there's uh, some over dramatizing of it all, <laughs> dramatizing of the story and making it a little Hollywood. But you know, it was a fun movie. I mean, if you're in the mood to re uh, revisit the holiday kind of feeling, you know, this is it's a good thing. So I enjoyed it. You know, I'm glad I watched it. But it's another one less film in my Netflix queue now. Right I I just uh, the last notable one uh, I watched it a couple of weeks ago was The Endless in, uh, streaming on Netflix. Um, it's two brothers. Um, they escaped from a cult when they were younger and situation has brought them back to the cult and they kind of realized that maybe the people in the cult are actually right. And it it's a little bit uh, cathartic Lulu-ish, except you actually get to see the the scary things. Um, it 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 makes you think. So it's not like scary horror, but it it's definitely well. What would I do if I were in a cult? Um, so I would suggest for people who like weird horror movies, which is kind of my forte, that that would go on the list. Yeah, I like that one as well. That was a good. That was a good one. Nice. All right. Well, let's jump right in. So, Jeremy, tell us uh, who you are and what got you started as a writer. Um, so, name's Jeremy Flagg. I've been writing since 2006. Um, 
I originally started, and this is going to sound horrible, but I disliked my job so much that I needed a way to take out some pent out anger. And unfortunately, as a school teacher, you're not allowed to do that in the classroom. So I wrote a series of zombie books where I unleashed zombies inside the school. And <laughs> it was quite therapeutic. And it at first, it was just kind of a fun... I had no ambition with this. And then I, I don't even think I edited the first book when I put it out on Amazon because, you know, mom wants to buy it. No one else is going to ever look at it. And then it sold copies to people I don't know. And it continued selling. And, oh, well, people are paying me for my spare time hobby. Okay, let's let's go back and do this again. And so that kind of started me on the the path of uh, writing for something other than just you know pleasure. Um, and then after a while, you know, zombies have been done to death, and they're my first love when it comes to writing. But superheroes has been been with me since I was a kid, and I stumbled onto uh, old scripts that I used to write for a comic book I did with a friend of mine when we were younger because you know that's what you do when you're a geek and I looked through them and they weren't great <laughs> I mean for seventh grade they were amazing and I started looking at them and I was like you know if I grow this up a little bit and make it not the mind of a, a bored 12 year old I, I bet there's some good stories here. And I kind of married it with my, my love of dystopian and out came a superhero universe that I'm wrapping up the second series, or editing the second series and starting to write the third one um, in that universe now. So it's, it's going to be my bread and butter. So I'm sticking with it for the moment. Awesome. And, Maybe some superhero smut. We're, we're, we're working our way there. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong Don't with never that. underestimate the, uh, the potential market value for some particular genre. Yeah, I, I know full well that the market's there. I just can't write it without blushing yet. So <laughs> That's my problem, too. That's, see, that way you're going to have to use a different name because you don't want mom to buy that one. Right? Well, that's my mom is my audiobook proofer, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, we we might have to uh, let mom go from Team Flag. <laughs> yeah, my buddy growing up always uh, would try to blackmail me with stuff we wrote and drew when we were like twelve or ten or something like that. Um, now look at look at me now. I'm laughing at him. I'm like, I embrace it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Do Do you remember when like you were younger and being a geek was like. Uh, a bad thing and like yeah. if you had comic books you would hide them so people didn't know and now you're like oh i have to wait three weeks to go see avengers because the theater's full yeah i went and spoke at a sixth grade class the other day uh did like a reading and tell them about being an author and stuff and and that was one of my big things I was like if you take away anything from this it's that being a nerd or a geek is how you make money in life and so when you're a grown-up that's what you want to be Start now. <laughs> <laughs> All you people trying to be cool, stop it. There's no point. You want money in life. It was it was a mixed message of somewhat of that, but anyway. <laughs> hey, you know what? Okay, go ahead. It works. Yeah. 
Yeah, actually, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you, I was reading your bio and it said that you wrote over a hundred issues of this, uh, this comic series when you were, I guess, what, middle school? Yeah. And so, so you, but, you, but the thing is you held on to all the scripts for it or, well, or, did, so, your, or did, your, did your parents keep it and just kind yeah. of like put it in the box for you? So back before computers, we had a brother digital word processor where uh, we had the upgrade. So it was the three and a half inch floppies and the floppies still existed. And of course, I couldn't find a computer to read them. And mom was like, oh, well, before we got rid of the, the word processor, we printed them all up. And my mom had just shoved them all into a binder and just out fell all of these horrifically poorly written <laughs> cliched scripts. And I was like, in hundreds of issues, I mean, there must have been easily 300 pages there. I was wow. like, I can at least piece together one novel out of this. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's how it was born. Thanks, mom, for never throwing anything in the house away. That's great. That's yeah. great. I'll ask a superhero story question. Uh, so as you know, as a superhero author, often the superhero categories in Amazon are full of urban fantasy and whatnot. So where do you draw the line? What do you define as a superhero story versus that kind of garbage? Funny you should bring it up because we created the Heinrich flag test for this. Okay. If Bechtel can do it, so can we. <laughs> so the rule is for it to be a superhero novel, at least two Avengers from any of the rosters must be able to appear in your series. So the big and really confusing one is always Buffy. That's the first one everyone tries to get the urban fantasy and use her as a superhero. But could Iron Man exist in Buffy? No. Could um, the Hulk exist in Buffy? Eh. That's not, debatable. Not by the Hulk origin story. Right. Um, and so we came up with this because it allows for magic users, it allows for tech, it allows for mutants, um, depending on how you go with it. Avengers just happens to be probably in Marvel, the most diverse team and it, it, it allowed for a broader net. Um, but we managed to work our way through like Katniss Everdeen wouldn't make the cut. Um, Harry Potter wouldn't make the cut. Um, and so this has become kind of our our unofficial guide to is it a superhero novel? I like it. Actually, yeah, well, well here's another here, well here's another question for you. So I mean, you know, you know, here's superheroes have been around for like eighty years. And so how much of a challenge is it to come up with a really original character with I guess I don't want to say unique abilities, but how do you put your own personal spin on, you know, what, you know, comic book nerds across the world are familiar with? So when I was younger, um, there was a, a spiral bound comic that was made called the, um, the guide to the X mansion. And it was like blueprints and all of this, but inside of it, as if it was one of the students at Xavier school, um, they wrote about, uh, the caloric intake necessary for Cyclops to use his optic blast for one second, which I don't know why, but that always stuck with me that someone sat down and did pseudoscience to explain this. And so 
for my superheroes, I mean, I have teleporters. I have people with dense skin. I mean, the, the powers are pretty much taken. Like, mm. unless you want to get weird. Um, and even then, I, I'm pretty sure another superhero author has already taken them. Um, so what I do for mine is all of my powers have to be somehow rooted in a pseudoscience. And so a lot of my powers are uh, reflective of uh, either new emerging technologies nowadays, or I, I look a lot to the animal kingdom because of course I can justify a man who spits acid because there's lizards that do it. <laughs> um, he kind of got the, the shaft on that power. <laughs> do, you, do you subscribe to the, like, the school of powers that's like uh, the powers kind of somehow reflect what's going on with the character internally at all? I know I, I'll be the first one to say absolutely not. Um, but after listening to some of the other superheroes talk about it, I'm looking back going, Ooh, did I miss an opportunity there? So my, my next comic that I'm working or next novel that I'm working on, I am, I'm kind of tailoring the powers to personalities and seeing if that pans out for me a little bit better. Yeah. Um, What's the logic there? I guess like I could see how, because you have the power and then something evolves, but it seems silly to, to kind of force them together. Yeah. I, I, I could see if like it was some sort of science induced that it brought out your, you know, I'm a, I'm a big dude. So, you know, I walk into a room, people notice, but maybe that power would be, I'm a bigger dude and it stands out. Um, I think right. on that line, it might work, but you know, it, it's, a, it's a little bit on the nose when Emma Frost, who uh, has a, a cold demeanor can turn into diamonds. Yeah. Right. Well, a little too obvious. But, you know, in some universes, of course, the powers are given for certain reasons. And then, of course, yeah, or in some reason, some cases, it's like evolved based off of your personality or characteristics. And then, of course, it would make sense because that's the nature of the evolution of the powers. But if some author is just like, hey, I give you this power because you're cold and so you have ice and you're mean. It's just, yeah. Eh. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of like DC superheroes because a lot of the times, you know, the Flash was had chemicals poured on him and he was struck by lightning. So now he is faster than light. And uh, okay, okay. Spider-Man bitten by a spider. Like after a while, Stan Lee made mutants because he was like, I'm out of ideas here, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's just be weird. Just eliminate the middleman in this process. <laughs> yeah, how many radioactive animals can there be in a universe? <laughs> Nice. So tell us more about your stories. And so not the background of how they came to be, but what actually is the night quartet? So in my universe, I, I have split it up a little bit. So in 2012, originally in 2012, the world was supposed to end according to the Mayan calendar. It didn't end. It was the end of mankind as we know it. And I decided to move forward from there. Um, and I use Notre Dame's predictions as part of it originally. And I was like, well, if I'm going to use Notre Dame in this, let's just make him a full-fledged psychic. And he is the father of superpowered people. And his he is the very first person who can see the future. And so everything he wrote is legit. It's fact. Um, and then from there on out, um, 
people with mental abilities, telepathy, psychosymmetry, and all of those have existed throughout mankind, but it's not until 2012 that people start to get weird powers, like major powers. And so in my books, there's basically three races and there's humans, you know, generic, whatever. Um, and then there's mentalists who they're kind of the scary people because there's no science behind their powers. A pyro can just make fire appear and it completely baffles any scientific explanation. And then the children of Notre Dame um, are the power people and essentially they're mutants. There's some unexplained, I didn't want to do research, explanation to how they all get their powers. And they just randomly emerge. The And I, I really like the idea that some of them just get completely screwed in the power department um there's a dude who's blue and that's what he got and it's an ongoing gag that he's seen as this other other species except he didn't even get something cool to go with it his poor constellation prize um and while this is happening the main character finds out that he's one of them and it winds up that he's actually a piece of a conspiracy that um, the president is in league with mentalists that are trying to take over the planet and power struggles, secret societies, and a lot of big guns. And there you have the whole series. Nice. Uh, the, uh, BT, do you have any follow up on that? I'm going to, I always try to take a point where I step back a little bit, Jeremy, in case I'm like hogging or anything, but we've been pretty much all jumping in so far, but just in case. Um, yeah, no, that, that sounds, that sounds very cool. And I see, I saw in your, your product description, you kind of describe it as like um, good for fans of, of X-Men or next force and things like that. Um, I'm curious, were those kind of your comics growing up or do you have a certain era of X-Men and X-Force that you're really uh, fond of? So I, I started uh, reading comic books because my mother wanted me to shut up in long car trips from <laughs> North Carolina to visit my mom, uh, my grandmother in Maine. And so she would just buy me comics. And for some reason, X-Men was just interesting. And the uh, I, I kind of came into reading it on a a more regular story basis um, in the early 90s. And this is when like X-Force uh, broke out and New Mutants was winding down and Chris Claremont was kind of at the height of his game. And, you know, all all dudes in comic books are like these jacked, like crazy huge dudes. And well, the women are still the women that they are now. Um, <laughs> Sure. But I I grew up on X-Men and I just loved uh, the diversity in the stories and how there was these seven people or eight people who had no business being together other than this one common thing. And oh yeah, now we're gonna go save the planet in our spare time. Um and you know, I grew up in a small town of twelve hundred people where comic books made life way more interesting than anything going on there. 
Very cool. Did you? How did you? I'm curious how you got your comic books back then. <laughs> was there a comic shop near the town? No. <laughs> we had one. There was one grocery store for three towns, and whatever comics were on the shelf, I would be there. I got off the bus. I didn't even go home because I had to be the first one there, and he would let me open the box and put them on the shelves, and I got to go through them. Um, but I got whatever I got. So. Oh, I had three months of X-Men and then I might not see it again for two months. So at that point I collected anything, um, which I, I got some really awesome, you know, weird prints and uh, one-offs that I don't know why they went to a grocery store in Maine, but, uh, but to go to an actual place that sold comics, like truly had a comic selection, it was a 45 minute drive and the parents weren't having that. So it had to wait until I got a driver's license. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, well, I'll jump in then. Uh, so I have a couple of questions. My first one is, so like, what's your process for plotting out your stories? Do you like, do you go in thinking, okay, here's here's how I want it to end, and you just kind of like figure your way out from point A to the end, or do you just kind of like, you know, kind of like right by the seat of your pants, or you have like a couple of ideas and plant flags along the way? So the one thing about uh, reading actual comics to have like that as your background, writing superheroes is, uh, Chris Claremont was a master of leaving un, like threads that would span on for years, and some of his plot lines are still only today being realized. You know, twenty plus years later. Um, so when I wrote my first book, I I had talked to a bunch of other authors, and I knew like I needed to be able to say it's a standalone, so a publisher would actually take it, or I needed to be able to say that it's a standalone with series potential. So I, at the end of the first book, they defeat the big bad, but dun, 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 the big bad's not done and over with, just done and over with for now. Um, and I originally meant to write a three book series that quickly spiraled into a four book series and then a prequel. And I, I, I have the sequel series uh, all plotted out and ready to go. Um, I could just keep going nonstop. So I had I decided to stop it at four books because I figured at some point the reader starts saying, you're just fleecing me for more money by not writing. <laughs> Which, yeah, I kind of am. But it's a good story, so stay with it. Uh, have you ever had to, have you really ever started a story and then realized, you know, like the, this is either I don't like where this is going and just kind of junk the whole thing, or you realize, oh, this is way too similar to, you know, this well-known storyline from this, you know, well-known comic. Okay. So two answers. One, that's a very, things me in the heart because it's still fresh in my mind. <laughs> um, when COVID started, I, I was like, I'm ready to go. I have all this time to write. Banged out 40,000 words in like two weeks. I mean, it's faster than I've ever written before. And I realized, wow, there's no plot. She just spent 40,000 words going to talk to people and nothing has happened. <laughs> and 
I was so bored with it. I was like, okay, well, maybe I could do this and fix, delete, delete, delete. Oh, I, wow. I just, it, it went into the trash can. It, it stayed there because I was secretly hoping I could uh, bring it back, but it, there was no hope for it. It was, it was a horrible, horrible book. Um, but the good thing about it was I got to do some experimental writing with it. The final product at the end, I think is much tighter and way more action packed. And why was she doing any of this stuff? It had no purpose to the story. So I think overall it worked out really well. Now, when I, um, sent my second book to the publisher, they, they put me on the release schedule. It was all set to go out. And the opening scene of the, the book is with this young girl. Um, her name is Ariel, except she goes by L. Um, and so L has the ability to move things with her mind. And she is being kept inside a government facility where they are trying to weaponize her telekinesis. And the opening scene is... You're not going to bring waffles into this next, are you? It's the scene where she picks, where he picks her up and carries her back to the bed was verbatim. And it came out, my book was going to be released one week after the first season of Stranger Things. Oh, boy. And if it wasn't a girl named L with telekinetic powers, government facility, I was like, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> so I wrote the publisher and I was like, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but uh, I'm going to claim that they stole my novel. But unless your lawyers want to duke this out, we might need to switch some things. And so I had one week to rewrite probably 20,000 words and... We made it happen because I'm I'm willing for someone to say like, wow, you got a lot of inspiration from X-Men. I don't want someone to look at my story and go, you rewrote an X-Men story arc here. <laughs> so yeah, that, uh, and I've stopped watching CW shows because every time a new show comes out, it's a book that's sitting on my shelf and I'm starting to get really <laughs> paranoid that they're watching me. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Uh, I have one more question, then I'll hand it over back to Justin. So, uh, even though I'm assuming you've pretty much been stuck at home the past uh, two and a half months or so, uh, what comics do you read these days? So, if I am still a diehard X-Men fan, um, I just read um, the new uh, House of X and Powers of X, which it had some story, it's fine. But it was, so background is a graphic designer. And so this book was the most beautifully designed comic book I have ever seen. The artwork was great, but the design work, they reinvented a language, they rebranded all of X-Men. It was, it was the most eloquent thing. And uh, you know what, if the story's, eh, whatever, but I'll keep looking at it because that was beautiful. Um, and I hate to admit it, but I just read my first uh, Wonder Woman comic the other day. Um, well, you know, it's been around for decades. You're you're allowed a little leeway and not having gotten to it since. I well, so I one of the reasons is it's been around for so long. So where do you start? Because I 
I spent five years when um, I got my iPad. I read every X-Men comic beginning to end. So I've read truly every X comic ever written, um, which goes to show you I have a lot of free time on my hands. <laughs> but uh, where do you start with Wonder Woman? Because it's older and that's, that's a lot. And the first hundred issues of any comic are questionable. Um, but I read the the Wonder Woman Odyssey, which was an awesome reimagining. Uh, I I really suggest it for someone who wants to get into uh, a comic. But don't worry, they'll reboot it five issues after you're in the race. <laughs> cool, very nice stuff. Yeah, we are coming up toward the end of our time. Uh, so one thing I wanted to make sure we hit on was uh, you'd mentioned. You had some experience in the trad world as well, so you have some thoughts on traditional versus self-publishing. Uh, care to share? So uh, I, I teach creative writing at a college level, and I give this talk at the beginning of every class that I teach. Um, while your book is sitting on a shelf and you are looking for an agent, your first time, this is all brand new to you, and you are spending the first three, six, or even years looking for an agent, my, my book is out making money. And if you think that a publisher is gonna do all the heavy lifting, that's what I thought. And I was quickly corrected because I put as much of my marketing budget as the publisher did. And when I realized that I was doing 98% of the work, it was nice having them pay for the editor and pay for the cover artist. I didn't like the cover art. The editor did a hard job. Um, the I didn't like the product, and now I'm roped into a situation that the only way for me to get out is to get a lawyer. And I don't recommend that for anybody. Um, so after that, I've decided I'm just going to go all in indie. I I've learned a lot since I started publishing seriously. And overall, it's, I, I'm kind of type A. If, if I fail now, it's my fault. It's not because the publisher perhaps forgot to discount your book when you had a book bub or, um, you know, accidentally released your book to a romance mailing list and all your reviews came back with, why is there no sex? Like that type of stuff, I just, I, I have zero patience for. So now if I make a mistake, I can laugh at myself and wow, I did it. Um, and I can, I can make decisions. And if I don't like a decision, like my book one, I realized I tied up the plot too perfectly at the end. I'm not getting the read through I want. So last night I went back in and untidied my plot a little bit. So now there's a little bit cliffhanger i can do that on a whim and the publisher publisher is not going to let me have that flexibility so i want all the power apparently yeah that's a good uh, good point um i think a lot of people have, have varied experiences but you definitely hear a lot of these kind of horror stories from i don't want to bash small presses but some small presses <laughs> have had these kind and of uh, problems and I've worked with small presses before, not for me personally, but with other authors that I've had amazing experience um, doing very, very niche things. 
that I would wholeheartedly recommend them. But I also had a friend who uh, wrote a superhero book and got picked up by a publisher and come to find out that the CEO was embezzling all the money and they're bankrupt now. So like oh. that stuff kind of scares me. At yeah. least if I do something stupid, I just yell at myself. I had something weird like that. I remember now it was like a faint memory that's gone. Maybe it was traumatic or something. I don't know. I blocked it out. But yeah, where like a publisher had picked up a book of mine and I remember we were going through edits and then I disagreed with their edits. So we were arguing for longer than we were supposed to. And then they went out of business. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, dodged that bullet, I guess. Now, don't get me wrong. If Penguin walked up to me tomorrow and said, we want to pick up your whole series, I would say, how much? Once yeah. you tell me that number, now let's have a conversation. But none of this, and unfortunately with a lot of small presses, they're like, we'll give you a $250 honorarium. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's great. That's one day in Amazon. That's yeah. like, I, and I don't want to make them feel bad or tell someone not to go that way. Like I can edit, I can do my layouts, I can do my covers if I really want. Um, I won't, but I could. I have those skill sets. So um, for people who don't, publishing is still very valid and, you know, go for it. Yeah, some people still pay companies money to publish. So there's that. <laughs> my, my books won't be on a bookshelf anytime soon. So there is that. I can, At a bookstore? Yeah. It just, though, I found a workaround for that. But it's still really not going to happen. So if that's your dream, traditionally published. Yeah. As long as COVID doesn't make all the companies go out of business. <laughs> Knock on some wood here. It's like, all right. Big, like big five, four. Like every time I hear the number seems to be going down. That's scary. It is scary. On a positive note, is there any cool, I don't know, advice for aspiring superhero novelists out there that you want to leave us with? Um, ooh, so the one, hmm, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a cheat on this one. Um, so there are I, I read a lot because you know I get to see when all the superhero authors are like I'm having a sale and I'm like I'll buy everything. Um, so I constantly have a Kindle full of things I can't read fast enough. Um, but if people want superhero fiction, easy way I know Amazon categories are just. Uh, a cluster that cannot be navigated. Um, we're steadily adding them to the superherofiction.com website where no matter what brand of superhero you're after, there's someone there writing it. Um, urban fantasy, romance, maybe eventually we'll put up the not so nice stuff. Not so nice or not so appropriate for younger audiences? Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, more adult in nature. Yeah, so we have a middle grade category on there, and you, you can't have both. So right. that's the hard part. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be my cheap and easy way out because there are dozens of new people coming out all the time. Um, I can't keep up with them. Yeah, I'm glad to see there's more people writing it. Awesome. So we have that website, and uh, go ahead and repeat it again, and tell us where author uh, readers can find your books and you. So you can find um, uh, superhero authors galore at superhero-fiction.com, 
and you can find my books because why make a URL easy to understand? It's childrenofnostradamus.com. Cool. <laughs> Every time you say that, I think of the Children of Tendu podcast. Do you guys know that? Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't oh, heard it. Oh, man. One of the best podcasts out there. It's about writing for TV. But they got their name, uh, the Children of Tendu, from some song lyric where something like the children often do or something like that. But growing up, you all oh. do. So every time I hear you say Thomas, I'm thinking, what else does he actually mean? What is it? <laughs> anyway, good podcast. Good to give shout outs every once in a while. And we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming. Thank you for having me. Pausing for other. <laughs> Sometimes the others try to jump in with their thank yous and I cut them off. But yeah, thank you so much. And uh, listeners, thank you for checking us out. Leave reviews if you can and, uh, you know, uh, share and all that stuff. So again, I'm Justin Sloan. You can find my books on Amazon or find me at Twitter at Justin M. Sloan. I am P.T. Hilton. You can find me at P.T. Hilton on those places. And thank you, Jeremy. I didn't mean to unthank you, not thank you. Yes, I will also uh, chime in with thank you very much, Jeremy. Great stuff. Very informative and helpful. Uh, I am Paul Zeidman. You can find me online, uh, my screenwriting blog, MaximumZ.blog. I'm also on Twitter at Maximum underscore Z. This has been the Creative Writing Life Podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Go read something. And most importantly, go write something. <laughs>